God, we pray today again that you would speak through the power of your word. And God, I, I know as we look at this section of scripture, God, that the, the very words that we just sang really are what we need to be thinking about, that you have given us life, that you have opened our lives, our, our, our eyes, that we love you. And God, in the midst of the story of Jonah, we can see your goodness and your grace. We can see your mercy. And God, just as as we think about those, as we think about how you love us, we think about the words of that song and how the, 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 the very things that we sing prepares for you to speak to us. God, I pray that we would understand your goodness, your greatness, your grace. I pray that we would experience just a, a glimpse of your goodness to us. And so, God, I pray that um, that, would, that would literally be um, our cry that we would see your, your goodness today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you want to follow along in front of us, I will warn you it is King James. And, uh, uh, but I want to encourage you, you can turn to page 790 on that uh, Bible. And, and follow along with us. We're going to be starting in chapter 1, verse 17. And for those of you who were here last week, we, we talked about what it meant to be running from God. And the book of Jonah, a lot of times, is always built upon, or most people know the book of Jonah simply about a what? Seems like everybody knows about this fish, this great whale or the shark or whatever it was, a big mass of fish that comes in and eats Jonah. And everybody seems to know that, but they don't see the rest of the story. They don't hear the rest of the story. They don't know what all went on. And, and so last week we talked about when we run from God, sometimes we create our own storms, all right? Sometimes in our lives we create our own storms because of our disobedience and, and things like that. And I want to I challenge you with this, that you ask yourself over and over and over again, am I creating my own storm? Because the reality is, a lot of times we, we dig our own holes. I mean, whether it's in marriage that you say something that maybe you shouldn't have and you try and dig your way out of it and then you realize you're just making it worse. Anybody else? No, nobody else has ever been there, right? Yeah, it's just me, right? You know, I'm the only one who seems to have that problem, and, you know, but, but it, it really is like that. Sometimes we just continue to dig and dig and dig in our own lives because we create these storms around us. And sometimes, listen, sometimes we're so built on drama and disobedience, and as a result of drama and disobedience, it gets worse and worse, and the storms seem to follow us no matter where we go. See, the reality is you can change locations, you can change the situation even maybe, but the reality is as long as you're going to create the storms, as long as you're going to walk in disobedience to what God has called you to do, then he's going to allow you to, to reap the consequences of your storms, all right? So we talked about that last week. We, we dug in, but I, I want to ask you the situation. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? You're, you're like in an impossible situation. You're like, uh, like, like, I mean, it's just, you're at a point where you're like, okay, what, what, what do I do here? What do I do now? I, I'm, maybe it was a bad situation. Maybe you got into a situation, you're like, I, I can't make heads from tails. I can't see light from dark. I, I, all I feel like is, is darkness. All that I feel like is there's constant negativity and darkness surrounds me and I'm, I'm not able to move forward. And so as you think about that, I just want to throw that into your heart, throw that into your mind to, to think about that because we're going to be jumping into Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 all the way through chapter 2. And before you think, oh my gosh, that's a lot, it's only 11 verses, all right? 
But as we continue our sermon series through Jonah, we're going to see what we should do when we run into impossible situations. Because Jonah was in an impossible situation. Matter of fact, Jonah, in reality, is the Old Testament version of the prodigal son. Basically, Jonah was told to do something, and Jonah was like, no. No, I'm not going to do it. Matter of fact, I'm not only am I not going to do it, I'm going to run the complete opposite direction. Okay? And so, as we dig into that, I want you to see how the, that, that he, he comes running back to God for grace. He comes crying back to God for forgiveness. And so, we've, we titled this sermon series Jonah, but I want you to also understand this. It's God's relentless pursuit of you. Okay? And what I mean by that is that there's a number of situations we're going to look at. It. Number one, God's pursuit of Jonah, a disobedient person who knew God, and then God's pursuit of the Ninevites, the disobedient people who didn't know God. Do you, do you see the relentless pursuit idea here? That God is passionately pursuing the people he already has a relationship with. So if you have a relationship with Christ, I want you to understand this, that God is still pursuing you day in and day out. Why? Because he wants that relationship with you. He is pursuing you. He is reaching out to you. He's calling to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to speak to you through his word. But God is also pursuing relentlessly pursuing those who have no relationship with him and some who would most likely say, I don't desire to have a relationship with him because that's exactly where the Ninevites were. And so as we dig into this section of scripture today, I just want to ask you to, to think about that. If you've ever been in, a rela- uh, in, in an impossible situation and how it played out, because I stand by this and I still think it's one of the things we have to see is that in the midst of Jonah's story, Jonah created a massive storm of which he had to reap the consequences all because of disobedience. So there are going to be storms in our lives that we're going to reap the consequences of because of disobedience. So how do I respond to that? That's going to be the the big thing here today because I believe that it's great news about it. See, the storms in our lives can be caused by our disobedience, but these storms can also affect other people, can't they? I mean, think about it. Anytime there is some sort of storm in your life, it doesn't just affect you. It may affect your kids. It may affect your parents. It may affect coworkers. It may affect other family members. It could even affect somebody you don't even know. When storms come in our lives, all hell can break loose. And when all hell breaks loose, it can affect other people. Think about this. Every situation, whether it's drunk driving, some sort of addiction, or even some violent outrage that happens in community, that is as a result, usually, of a storm in somebody's life, is it not? All of those storms build up, and it affects more than So you have a, a kid who feels neglected, mistreated, abused, bullied, whatever, who responds in violence at a school. Does that affect just that kid? No, it affects everybody. If I have a person who's suffering from addiction, does it affect just the person who's suffering from addiction? If I have a person who suffers from alcohol problems, it's not just that person. It may be the kids. It may be the person who, if I got into a drunk driving accident, it may, all of those things affect somebody else. So storms in our lives can affect other people, but how do we, or what do we do when we mess up? That's going to be the big question today. So here's the key statement. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God has not abandoned you. Can you guys say that real quick? Say say that real quick. God has not abandoned me. God has not abandoned me. This is the idea because here's what happens in most people's idea. When 
when everything goes bad, when all hell breaks loose, when we start to have problems, when the storms come, what is the first statement? Well, God must have turned his back on me. God has abandoned me. God has not abandoned you. Rather, I got to call out and commit to him. Listen, that's the key thing that we're going to see today from Jonah. God has not abandoned you. Call out and commit to him. That's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 17, all right? Starting in verse 17. And we didn't cover this last week. I told you a reason. There's a reason why, okay? Last week was all about Jonah running. This week is all about the consequences for Jonah running, all right? So the consequence was really that Jonah's thrown overboard, and that's basically where we left off. They picked up Jonah, they threw him overboard, Jonah hits the water, and what happens? Yeah, the storm stopped, okay? But I want you to read this. Follow along with me starting in verse 17. But the Lord provided a what? A whale, a shark. What's it say? It just says a gray fish, all right? Here's the thing we have to begin to understand. Everybody wants to make this a big deal about a whale or a, or, or a shark or a big fish. The reality is we don't know what it was. It was a big fish, all right? And here's what I stand by and believe. If, if God can create a big, huge whale or God can create a big, massive bird and an ostrich, and I know that's not very big in the humanity sense, but God can create whatever he wants to create in order to provide whatever he needs to provide. I even read a story, this has been probably 10 years ago, but there was a story about some divers who dove down in a lake in Kentucky, all right, now Kentucky. They dove down in a lake near this dam area in this lake and ran into some catfish that were over eight feet long. Now, the biggest catfish I've ever seen was like 21 pounds, okay, and I mean, it was big fish, but they were talking about these eight-foot-long catfish at the base of this dam in some lake in Kentucky, and I'm thinking, that fish could swallow you because the size of the mouth on this 21-pound catfish that's only like this big was huge. And I'm thinking, there's no way I want to go down scuba diving near a lake in a dam with a catfish that could swallow me whole. Sorry, that just doesn't sound impressive, all right? But what we know about Jonah is this. That the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All the waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight, Yet I will look again to your holy temple. Now, this is a man who in reality is basically knocking on heaven's door, all right? He is one foot in the grave. He, he's going down. That's what he thinks. He's like, look, everything is going bad around me. The storm has, has overwhelmed me. I'm down in the ocean. I'm, I'm experiencing some things. And guess what? I'm going to look toward your holy temple. This is a point where he cries out to God. In a, in, a, in a storm situation, usually we wait until it gets to the worst point possible before we finally do what? Cry out. Usually. That's what happens. We got to go down and down and down and down and down. And the farther down we go, all of a sudden we realize, hey, you know what? I can cry out for help. We don't, instead of crying out for help right away, we wait until we're in some of the worst situations or scenarios to cry out for help when we need help. 
And that's exactly what Jonah does. He's getting to the point. Listen to verse 5. It says, the, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, listen, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So listen as we, as we dig in. I'm going to read the rest here in just a little bit. But God has not abandoned you. All you have to do is call out and commit to him. So here's the question for the day. What do we do when we've messed up? What do I do when I've messed up? Because I think that's the big question. Jonah made a massive mistake, did he not? He was told to go one direction, and he said, I'm not only not going that direction, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction. As a result, he faces the storms, the storms he created because God was trying to get him into a certain circumstance or certain situation into God's plan and God's purpose. Instead, Jonah's like, heck no, I'm not going. No way you're going to get me to go there. Don't want to deal with the Ninevites. They're a brutal, treacherous, rash people. I'm not going there. So what do we do when we've messed up? And I think number one is this. We have to grasp God's salvation. In other words, you have to take hold of it. It has to be something that, has to be, that is real in your life. When I grasp out, when I reach and take hold of God's salvation, I understand the big picture that Jesus is trying to point to me in the first and foremost place, that I am in need of a Savior as a result of my sin, in other words, the storms that I create out of my life, I am in need of somebody to save me. And listen, here's the big picture when this comes up, because listen to what happens in verse 17 again, but the Lord what? provided. See, what you have to begin to understand is this, that that fish was Jonah's salvation at that point. Do you understand that? I mean, I've even thought, and I wrestled through this, but, but that is literally what's going on. There's a, there's a great deal to talk about the size of the fish, what kind of fish it is, but I think we miss out in the big picture. The big picture is this, that the fish is what saved Jonah from death. Do you understand that picture? Do you understand what's going on? The fish, this big fish that the Lord provided, swallows Jonah and saves Jonah from death. Now, think about this. Look, I've, I've, been, I've, I've fished plenty. And when I've cleaned the fish, the insides don't exactly smell good. It's pretty rank. Now, think of the fact, the matter, that Jonah has been swallowed by this great fish. I, I, like, in my mind, all I can picture is Pinocchio. I'm sorry. I, I, I do. I picture Pinocchio. You, you, you all understand what I'm talking about. Pinocchio's floating around, you know. I, I'm thinking, golly, man, what, what kind of misery would that be? And not only that, it's three days and three nights. Like, you think it's torturous being stuck in a car for six hours. Imagine being stuck in a fish with all the stomach acids, all the stuff it's eaten, all the junk that's going, I mean, the smell, the stench, everything. Jonah is at a point where he's like, oh my gosh. He's at the lowest point in his life. Why? Because of a result of his storms and his disobedience. But listen, in the midst of the storms, God provides a way for salvation. God provides the way. He pays the way. He pays the way. He provides the fish that rescues Jonah out of the very thing he needs rescued from, which was his own sin, his own disobedience. The beauty of the story is simply played out as this, that, that, that Jonah, and I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to play this out in my mind, but I believe that he writes this later about the prayer that he talks about. 
When Jonah hit the water, did the water stop right away? Or did he fight and struggle to try and stay afloat? Because I, I look at so many things. Listen to what it says. It hurled me into the deep and into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. Anybody ever been swimming in the ocean? And you could feel that cross current or the, the tide that's pulling you in, pulling you out. Matter of fact, to me, the Gulf Coast, it's, it's not, nothing. You go out in the Pacific Ocean where all of a sudden you'll have all these cross currents and stuff that want to pull you out. And I think about Jonah just struggling to stay afloat, stay alive. I remember thinking when I was in the Navy, if I ever fell off the ship, I don't know that anybody would ever find me. You would hope you fell off with the life preserver on, all right? But there were a lot of times we walked out on the edge of the ship on, on what we called the catwalk. You didn't have a life preserver on. You just, you were passing from one part of the ship to the other. If you fell off, you were just in trouble. <laughs> I mean, you know? It's one of those things that you looked at. But listen, listen to what happens. I believe that Jonah, in some way, shape, or form, struggled to stay afloat. He did everything he could. Because listen to what it says. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So when Jonah goes in the water, everything's fine for the sailors. But what is Jonah still suffering from? The storm that he's created that's going on around him. He's struggling to try and stay afloat, but in the end, he goes down. And I, I love how it says, you hurled me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, at this point, if any of you have ever struggled to stay afloat or to stay above water, what's the first thought in your mind? Oh my gosh, I got to get breath. I mean, Ethan was, we were playing the other day, we were over at some friend's house, and Ethan was in the pool, and his buddies were dunking him, and he come up, and it was, it was a big deal, because he couldn't breathe, and I remember my friends doing that to me, I was always a smaller one, they used to do this thing called the full Nelson, anybody remember full Nelson? And they put you in a full Nelson, and then they'd get behind you, and they just dunk your head, and you couldn't get a breath, and I remember thinking multiple times, I'm going to die, and I remember that point, that caused a number of fights in the pool, because I'm like, I'm not putting up with this, <laughs> you know, but, but listen, this is one of those things, Jonah's at a point where he's like, oh my gosh, I'm dying, I, I am in trouble, and listen to what Jonah says, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple, listen, when I face the storms, or when I face the consequences of the storms, there's going to be times where you're going to feel like God has turned his back on you. There are going to be times where you're going to feel like God is not watching, God is not paying attention, that God has abandoned me, that God has left me. And all the while, listen to this, all the while God has something more in store. Because what you have to understand is when it talks about Jonah being inside the belly, inside, God provided that. And Jonah is just sharing his prayer, most likely his prayer of what's going on before the fish swallows him up. But Jonah realizes he is in a great mess. And listen, here, here's what happens. We begin to think that God is selfish. We begin to think that God has abandoned us. We begin to think that God has left us. But I want you to understand this. If you can understand anything under this, when we grasp God's salvation is this, that God is not selfish, but God is sacrificial. God has always sacrificed, has always paid the penalty. Matter of fact, if you want, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read it for you real quickly, and then we're just going to jump back in. But Ephesians chapter 2 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. What does that sound like? Jonah. Jonah's sitting there going, I am dead. 
I am in trouble. I am trapped as a result of what's going on in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom, the heir, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Matter of fact, listen to this, verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature's objects of wrath, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches. Listen, the whole point of the story of Jonah is this, that you can grasp God's salvation, not based upon anything that you've done or can do or will do, but based upon everything that God did for you. See, the story of Jonah is just a simple story about salvation. Remember we talked about Paul Harvey and that's the rest of the story? Well, that's the rest of the story. And the beautiful thing about Jonah here is it's going to play out over the next two chapters. How God relentlessly pursues man. A relationship with man. So what do we do when we've messed up? Number one, we have to grasp, grasp God's salvation. Number two, I believe is this, that we cry out to God in prayer. I think there's so much we can see about what Jonah is going through, but we have to learn to pray all the time. Prayer is literally our confession and our communion with God. It is our confession to God for everything we've done. It's our communion with God. In other words, our relationship with him. And God, prayer is that just simply that. I believe one of the biggest struggles we have is you may be a person who spends time in the word and not prayer, or you may be a person who says, I never spend time in the word and I always pray. The reality is if you miss one of those, you miss out on the relationship that you really have with God because God speaks to us through his word and he communicates with us through prayer. God will never contradict his word in prayer and God will never ask you to do something in prayer that does not line up with scripture. Does that make sense? God never contradicts himself. I've had people say, well, I was praying the other day and God told me I could do this. Well, that's, that's funny because it doesn't line up at all with Scripture. And I'm pretty sure God will never tell you you can do something. Matter of fact, where was I at the other day? I was on the couch the other night. I had to pull this up. It, it about floored me. A, a person I went to church with in Springfield had posted this and said, what the heck is going on? But it was about this Christian, I'm going to want to put this up here in quotes, Christian couple who practices swinging in order to share the gospel with the people they practice swinging with. And I'm like, yeah, you completely missed the whole point of scripture. Because they're like, we were going to live out our life of sin so that we can reach people who are trapped in sin. Completely disregarding Galatians where it says, do not use your bodies as instruments of wickedness and disobedience, but use them as an instrument of righteousness. And it's completely floored me. But listen to what happens. Cry out to God in prayer. See, when we come to God, not with generic prayers, but with very specific prayers, I believe that God answers our very specific prayers. And listen, that's what exactly what Jonah does. Look at it, verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord. Okay? I literally called out. In other words, it, it literally means I cried out to God by name. That's what he says. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. He's literally calling out to God by name. But listen, he also says it again. From the depths of the grave, I cried out. Your Bible may say called, but it's this idea of cried. Okay, Two different words in the Hebrew. 
One is cried out means this is a personal relationship thing. The other one cries out means he's literally screaming for help. He's yelling at the top of his lungs is what he's saying. He's trying to communicate to God very specifically and very clearly, God, I need your help. And listen, I think sometimes we are so silent in the midst of the storms that we don't understand what's going on. But Jonah cries out to the Lord. As a matter of fact, that's what we have to see. See, when you get into the point of distress, when you get into the point of trouble because of the storms, it's okay to cry out to the Lord. It's okay to call him by name, and it's okay to cry out to him with a loud voice saying you need help. Because that's what Jonah is doing at this point. He says, I cried out to the Lord. He's making it very personal. I cried out to him. I'm acknowledging him as Lord, but I cried out to him with a vengeance, with a loud voice, with everything I had knowing or showing that I needed him more and more each and every day. See, God speaks to us. Number one, I believe, through his word, but God also speaks to us, number two, through prayer. And so when we cry out to God in prayer, he gets us to where he wants us to be. Listen again what he says. It says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Listen to me. When we call out to prayer, I believe it's very simple. It's something we have to understand that communion with God comes through both the power of his word and through the conviction and comfort he provides in prayer. Did you hear that? Communion with God comes both through the power of his word and the conviction and comfort he provides in prayer. Conviction because he's going to use scripture to convict you where you're wrong and he's going to speak to you through that time and he's going to convict you of what's going on but comfort also that he is going to strengthen you and encourage you in the midst of trouble. That when I go through the deepest pit, the darkest valley, that God will give me comfort and encouragement that I can know that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Listen to again what Jonah says. He's basically at the very base of the mountains. I, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. Like in my mind, all I can think about is studying the Marianas Trench. It's deeper than, the, than, than Mount Everest. I can't imagine 30,000 feet of water being above me. Like one inch is literally almost too much. All right, but to be, as a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons I say I'm never going to go scuba diving. Like, I can deal with snorkeling. I'm on the water. I can breathe. I'm right there. We're good. We're seeing underwater. But scuba diving, uh-uh. There's just something about that. I'm like, no, it's kind of like, kind of like uh, skydiving. Have no desire. Like, I'll look at it from the plane. Don't ask me to jump out of it. All right? I can see a perfectly good picture from here. I don't need to be getting closer and closer to get a better view. But listen, listen again to what he says, and this is the thing that I think we, we begin to understand. We cry out to God in prayer. In the midst of crying out to God in prayer, listen to what happens with Jonah. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Listen, when Jonah hits rock bottom, when Jonah goes to the very bottom of the depths, when Jonah's at the lowest point in his life, when Jonah realizes that his disobedience has led him into this consequence that he's facing, 
Jonah begins to cry out and it says, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and my prayer rose to you and your, to your holy temple. And then Jonah says something about this. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Listen to what happens. When I pray, I pray very specifically to a God. I pray to the God, not a God. There are lots of people who want to pray and cry out to a God, but they don't cry out to the God. And listen to what he's saying again. Jonah's saying, those who cling to worthless idols, those who worship worthless gods, those who follow other ways, those who have other priorities, they, listen, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In the midst of this story, what God is trying to do is to show his grace and his pursuit of man all the way throughout. But when we run to the wrong God, when we run to the, uh, the feist, false idols, when we run to the, those things that are not going to provide, then big picture here is this. We forfeit the very grace for which Jesus died on the cross in the first place. I hate the word forfeit. Because to me, I think of forfeit in sports. Forfeit means we either A, did not follow the rules and as a result are rejected, or B, we didn't have enough players. The idea being here is this. A forfeit is a loss or surrender due to wrongdoing. And so Jonah just literally cries out. He realizes at that point what salvation and grace means. That if I cling to the worthless things, the worthless idols, that I forfeit the very grace that God gives me. But when I cling to Jesus Christ, when I cling to God, the Messiah who sent His Son, when I cling to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when I understand that and I cling to that and I hold on to that and I call to Him and He speaks to me, then I understand God's grace. Just a little bit of it. I don't think we can ever really completely understand all of it because it overwhelms us. But we could begin to understand God's grace. Number three, what do we do when we've messed up? I believe we have to see God's hand at work and renew our commitment. We see God's hand at work and renew our commitment. See, when God disciplines you, he desires to change you, does he not? Matter of fact, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. All right. When God disciplines you or when God sends a storm to surround you because you're doing something you know you're not supposed to do, God is disciplining you. He's, he's bringing down. It's, it's in reality exactly what you should do to your kids. You don't let your kids do whatever you want, they want to do, do you? I mean, at least we don't. And I, I would hope you don't. Because if that's the case, the reality would be the inmates would be running the asylum. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if my kids got to do what they always want to do, number one, they'd probably never go to school. They'd be playing Xbox all day, all right? They, 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 yeah, see, I got the, yep, yep, shaking the head, all right? Listen, if you allow them to do only what they want to do, they will never succeed in life. And God says, look, there's going to be a point in time where you may not want to do what I'm calling you to do, but when I call you to do it, you need to walk with me in obedience. Listen, that's exactly what happened with Moses. Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. Can you send, you remember the story? Can you send anybody else? Like, like, send my brother Aaron. Throw your brother under the bus. That's what everybody else does, right? I mean, like, that's what happens in our house. Brooklyn gets in trouble. Well, Peyton, oh, well, wait, this isn't about Peyton, it's about you. 
That's exactly what God does to Moses. Moses, it's not about you. I didn't call Aaron to do this. I'm calling you to do it. See, God's hand at work can be seen in so many things in our lives. You just have to look for it. When I have a storm, I have two ways I can look at it. That when the storm hits, God's at work. Part of this may be on me. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's a lack of of communion and relating with God. I believe that's one of those things too. Maybe there hasn't been a lot of disobedience, but maybe it's just a simple fact you haven't been communicating or relating with God. You're not reading his word. You're not spending time in prayer. So as a result, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? When I see God's hand at work and I renew my commitment, then God delivers. That's exactly what happens in Jonah. See, I believe the purpose is not necessarily to cause pain, but to cause change in our life. See, when God disciplines you, it's not necessarily just to cause pain, all right, but to cause change in your life. Now, listen and hear me out. I'm going to be very clear on this. That doesn't mean you won't suffer pain. For too many people and for too long, people thought, well, if I'm just obedient in everything, then I'm never going to suffer. That's not true. Read the book of Job. I'm just going to leave it at that. Go read the book of Job. A holy and righteous and upright man who suffered dearly. Not by anything he did, but because it was just life. It's called sin. As a result of sin, people suffer. So listen. The purpose is not to cause pain, but to cause change. But God may use your pain to get you to change. That's one of the biggest things we can see. I see God's power at work. I see God's hand at work. Listen listen to verse 4. Jonah again said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Jonah felt distant. But listen to verse 6 and 7. To the roots of the mountains I sank down to the earth. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But listen to what he all of a sudden realizes. But you brought my life up from the pit. God, you provided the way of salvation through the great fish. God, you have provided for us the way of salvation through Jesus Christ. In the midst of the storm of my life, in the midst of my disobedience and my, my, my arrogance and my pride, I was caught in a pit and a trap because of my sin, but God, you lifted me up out of the miry clay, out of the pit to walk in your righteousness only because of your son, Jesus Christ, not because of anything I've done. So I see God's hand at work in the midst of that, and listen what happens. Jonah renews his commitment. Now there's going to be more drama to the story, the rest of the story in chapter 4, but Jonah renews his commitment to what God called him to do originally. Maybe a little begrudgingly, but he renews his commitment because listen to what he says. Verse 9, but I, with the song of thanksgiving, will what? Sacrifice to you. See, the big picture for Jonah here now at this point is this, that God can bring peace through pain. That God can bring hope in the heartache, that God can bring comfort in the confusion, that God can bring love in the loss of, in life out of death. You get that? That God can bring peace through your pain. That God can bring hope in your heartache. That God can bring comfort in your confusion. That God can bring love in the loss. And God can bring life out of death. That is the whole point that Jonah is getting to at this point. Jonah's heart is changed. 
Matter of fact, there's a point where I, I read this this week. A man in a certain church was known to rededicate his life on a regular basis. Maybe this reminds you of old school uh, ways of doing things, but he would rededicate his life on a regular basis, and he always prayed the same prayer. Lord, remove the cobwebs from my life. Well, upon hearing this prayer one day, the pastor finally walked up behind him and whispered to him and said, and kill the spiders. Because a lot of times we want God to remove the cobwebs and we don't get rid of the very thing that's causing the cobwebs in the first place. And that might be disobedience. So Jonah brings out a song of thanksgiving and acknowledges that salvation is from the Lord. Listen again what he says, I with a song of thanksgiving. And I want to ask you this, this very simple question. When you come in here on Sunday mornings, do you allow the very words that you sing be a song of thanksgiving? Do you focus on the words? Do you allow other things to distract you? Or do you allow the words to be the very reflection of a song of thanksgiving, a thankful heart for God's salvation for you, for God's love for you, for God's pursuit of you, for God's grace toward you? Because if not, then I think you miss out on the greatest response that the church can ever have, is a thankful heart for everything that God has done. Matter of fact, I'll even say this. Jonah at this point, I believe, is this. He's thankful for what God has done. In the midst of the storm, Jonah suffered dearly. Jonah suffered the consequences. He thought his life was gone. He was as good as dead. But God provides what would we would call a very uncomfortable situation in living in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And there's, there's all of this. But Jonah acknowledges God's deliverance from his sin. And he recommits his life by saying, I will sacrifice to you. I believe this is one of the biggest things we can understand is this. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't call you to a life of comfort. He called you to a life of sacrifice. It's also one of the most uncomfortable things that most people deal with. Wait, you want me to call on Jesus and sacrifice my life. That's literally what Jesus called us to. Jesus laid his life down for us so that we would lay our lives down for other people for the sake of the gospel. Number four is this. What do I do when I screw up? What do I do when I've messed up? When everything has fallen apart, and I believe is this. We let God speak. Listen, listen to what happens in verse nine, the end of verse nine. All right. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good, because salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah's acknowledging that salvation comes from the Lord. He's acknowledging what God has called him to do. He's acknowledging that he will make good on his end. But then listen to verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it, I love this, vomited Jonah out on dry land. Like, I don't know what this looks like. All, all, all I can think of. I remember watching this show one time on like the History Channel or something, the Pumpkin Chunkin'. You ever seen the Pumpkin Chunkin'? And they create these cannons that launch these pumpkins across these fields. And they got all these guys. That, all I can think is, man, it says that it spit Jonah out on dry land. That dude got ejected. He was like projectile vomit out of the fish onto dry land to get him back. I mean, like, I mean, every parent knows what projectile vomit's like. It's like, no, stop. Oh, my gosh. That's... Jonah got puked up big time. 
all, listen to me, all because God commanded it. Listen again what he says. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Why did that happen? Because God's putting Jonah right back into the circumstance and situation he called him to in the first place. Jonah, you're going to Nineveh. Now, there's a lot of assumptions we can make. Where was it at? Where did he go? But I'm not so sure that he didn't end up right back where he left in the original per- point, Joppa. Jonah, you ran from this point, And now you're going to go the other direction, the direction I called you to go in the first place. And we're going to jump into that more next week. But I believe that this is one of the things we have to understand. See, the Lord commanded. And all you need is the Lord to speak to your problems. All you need to understand is that Jesus can command the wind and waves to cease. And it would cease. Matter of fact, if you remember in the story where the, 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 the official came to Jesus. And he's like, I need you to heal my son. And Jesus is like, where is he? He's like, all you got to do is speak. If you'll just speak it. I will go home and everything will be gone. And Jesus does. He speaks it and the guy goes home and his son is healed. You remember that story? So we have to let God speak into the very situation that we face in the very circumstances and troubles. When God speaks, when he's commanded you to do something, when he commands something, he gets the action we need. He gets the reaction we need. He is going to make things happen because he's already called you to do it. And so when when, when God speaks, it literally says that the Lord commanded the fish. There is nothing on this earth when the Lord speaks to it. When God speaks to that thing, there is nothing on this earth that God cannot move in order to get you to where you're supposed to be. The Lord commanded Jonah or the fish to spit up Jonah, and the Lord has commanded us to go and make disciples. If God can make a fish spit up Jonah to go and make disciples, God can move mountains to make you or help you go and make disciples. So we let God speak to our situations and our circumstances. We let the truth of God's word comfort us and encourage us in the midst of everything that we go through. See, the biggest thing about this story oftentimes is we always think that Jonah is the big main character, is it? But he's not. Jonah's not the main character in this story. God is. God's call God's salvation, God's pursuit of the Ninevites, God's grace in, in, in uh, Jonah chapter 4, all the while Jonah complains. So listen, if you have a negative heart and you're a complaining type person, you and Jonah should get together. Because Jonah's that guy. Jonah's like, man, you know what? God, I understand you're gracious. I see your salvation. You saved me. You, you saved me out of the, the depths of the ocean. You picked me up out of there. You, you have delivered me. I'm going to go to those people because why? Because that's what you call me to do and I vow to do it. But I really don't want those people to experience your grace, God. And that's what we're going to see over the next couple chapters. You're going to see how this plays out in a big picture. But listen, the Lord can speak to your problems in a great way. When it's lined up with his word, when it's lined up with his purpose and his plan, he is going to speak in a great way. And so here's, here's the way I just want to wrap up today. And I want to just ask you this very simply. In the midst of the storms of life, Jonah suffered the consequences, but he also saw God's handiwork and he saw God's grace pulled out or shown off through it all. 
Now, I ask you this question. You may be going through storms in life, but have you experienced God's grace and God's salvation? Because in the midst of the storms that we create on our own, you may be missing out on the greatest answer to the storm, the greatest threat to that storm, and that's God's grace and God's mercy. Because God's grace and God's mercy in the storm is the only thing that will get you through the storm. Your storms are going to come. I have yet to meet a person who comes to me at the end of 60, 70, 80 years and go, you know what? I never had a storm in my life. Life is created, is full of storms. Sometimes there are storms that we cause ourselves. Sometimes there are storms from other people's lives. Sometimes there are storms because that's the nature of the world. It's called a sinful world. But listen to me, Jonah is a great lesson for us to learn that when we call out to God, when we grasp or take hold of God's salvation, understand that it's only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that we have salvation, that we can recommit or commit our lives to him and what he wants us to do. And listen, I love the rest of Jonah because you get to see how people respond when they finally hear the truth and the grace that God has for them. All the question is this, where are you? Are you Jonah? Maybe you're suffering in the storms right now. Maybe you've been called to go and do something and you just decided not to do it. Where at in the story are you at? Or could you potentially see yourself? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people who cry out to God in the midst of the storm, that we would cry out to you looking for hope and direction, longing for salvation, knowing that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for the very things that we can't pay for, to pay for our salvation, to buy us, to purchase us, to redeem us, to make us set apart, to prepare us for a greater purpose and a greater plan than we could have ever imagined. And so, God, today I pray that you would work. God, maybe there's somebody today here who has never put their faith and trust in you. They've never acknowledged your salvation, your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your forgiveness. And so, God, today I pray that this would be the day that they would set that apart. And so just where you're at, very simply, there's nothing magic about what you can do, but the Bible says very clearly that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe that he died on the cross and rose again, that you'd be saved, that you can confess right now where you're at in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the very things that you're going through, that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he is Lord, and he rose again, defeating sin and defeating death. You confess that with your mouth. God, I know today that there may be some going through storms, and maybe they've made that commitment in the past, just as Jonah, I believe, was a follower of you, but when you called him to do something, he ran. And so maybe there are some today who are just going through a storm. They have given into the sin and the temptation. They have run from you. They have tried to do everything they could to get away. They feel abandoned and neglected. And the reality is their abandonment and neglect is only because they've run in the opposite direction and you've been pursuing them. You are chasing after them and you are calling to them and you are saying, you just need to turn. You need to come to me. Because I can lift you out of the mire. I can lift you up from the deepest depths of the ocean. 
the seaweed may have felt like you have surrounded your, your life in seaweed and you have nowhere to go, but you can always turn to me. And so God, today, as we close with this simple song, God, I pray that you would speak. It's in Jesus' name I pray. As we close with this song, I want to invite you to very simply do this. If you need somebody to pray with you because you've been going through the storms, I'll be up here to pray. If you want to come up here and pray, just where you're, you can pray where you're at. You can pray here at the altar. You can grab somebody. But you need to deal with what God's doing on your heart right now. We're going to close with a song and you'll be dismissed.